Hi, everybody. Hi there. How are you all today? I'm going to brighten this thing up a little bit. Boy, is it dark outside. It is. And hence, it's kind of dark in here. It is. Is that the, that is, we're at the brightest? We're pretty close. Okay. Yeah, I know. We look all kind of funky and everything, but. I might come over and just shine a flashlight under Scott's chin if you can't see him. <laughs> <laughs> I think they can uh, see me. Anyway. I, think could, I guess maybe when you head over there, you could open up that blind over on the I drawer. Will. That would help with my. Get a little bit more a light in bit here. More but light. Yes, I will do that. By and large, here we are. Here we are, and we're so happy to be back. We really are. It would, it's like a long time you missed two weeks, and it's really three weeks since you've been. Yeah, I mean, just think about everything that's happened since we were here last at Monday afternoon. Yes. Christmas, and New Year's. And New Year's. Yes, and we had a wonderful visit from our son Chris from Asheville, who hit the road this morning, late morning, to uh, just kind of go on. He's, he's on a... Go see his mother down in Dublin, yes, Texas. and yes. uh, some friends, and it was wonderful to have him here with us. We had a lot it of was. family he's time. was, good guy. Got Robbie and Savannah in when they were out of town. Well, they had to go out of town uh, over the weekend, but we managed to make it all work, that we got to see everybody and got everybody together. We got to see plenty of everybody. We did. It was yeah. great. It was great. Yeah. So now it's everything's getting back. So it I is. got, we have this today, getting back to numbers. Tomorrow, we start the Book of Acts. Yes. We started a new series yesterday in my 11 o'clock class. Yes. Um, her story. So I wanna, anyway. And I am just going to do a selfish plug here. Yes, um, please Scott do. mentioned it during class plug. yesterday. Um, next Thursday, the 18th, Scott will be doing a like one-time presentation of In the Beginning Was the Word, and it will be, he will do a little background on how the Bible came to be, what it is today, and just just a whole little like introduction into the Bible and how to read the Bible and study the Bible. And then he is going to go from Genesis all the way up to Malachi in two hours or less. Yeah. I've seen him do it a number of times over the years. It can be done. And it's fascinating. It really, really is. It's The stories are great, and I know that seems like a really short period of time, but it's such a great refresher for all of us to see from creation to um, Abraham, Moses, backtrack, put Noah in there. The prophets, it's it's really, really, really a great... It's really the first half of that six-act play. It is. But, of course, it's like three-quarters of the Bible is the Old Testament, right. actually. Right, But it's half of the... It's Acts 1, 2, and 3, and it's a really good way to to learn the Bible. And as Arthur was talking about in his sermon yesterday, to zoom out, yes. right? To, to You can zoom in, and you can also zoom, zoom out. And so this is sort of like the... The ultimate zoom out, right, it is. on the story to it go is. from Genesis to Malachi, Acts 1, 2, and 3 of the 6. So, yeah. So, we're going to do that a week from Thursday. Peril Hall should be fun. Box okay. lunches. I hope they're good lunches. I hope so, too. But you can sign up right now online, and um, I hope you all will. I'm hoping that Scott just packs out the room so we've got to know ahead of time and move it somewhere else, but... You just you just don't know. Well, we'll see. We are gonna um, stream it 
or at least record it. We'll have to find out exactly what, what the church wants us to do, but we can definitely record it and have it online. Um, but if you can come in person, the most fun time, you know, yes, it's great, all the learning, but then afterwards you have lunch and you get to talk to people that you only get to talk to for just a few minutes on Sunday mornings. And it becomes a really good little fellowship time. Yes, Yes. absolutely. Yep. Okay, but do register just because, and one reason is because we're now into January. Weather could be an issue Yes. next week from what I hear. So that way if you registered and they send out an email to everybody who's registered, you would know if we ended up having to postpone the class or something because of icy That's roads right. that day. But and also, Otherwise, use your common sense. Yes, yes. <clears throat> also with, um, you know, because we are trying to do this at round tables in Piro Hall, if people don't register, we may not have enough seating. If a whole or enough lunches for sure. That's very true. So um, anyway, I really hope y'all will be there. I think it will be a, a kind of a fun day, and hopefully there will be no snow or anything else to yeah. you know keep people away. We've made it this far. Yeah. All right. So, shall I open us up with a prayer? I think it'd be great. Okay, gracious Lord, here it is Monday afternoon. We took a couple of Mondays off, but we are now in 2024, and we are picking up in the book of Numbers where we left off with the people grumbling and complaining against God, and um, we will see where that takes us. And we just pray your blessings on our time together and on this virtual fellowship that we have um, and our on this uh deeper dive maybe i'll put it that way this deeper dive into the book of numbers all this we pray in jesus's name amen amen we do want to apologize ahead of time our lawn guys are here blowing leaves hopefully they're not going to cut the grass we're going to have to make a call in somewhere and tell them what yeah. happened why do you yeah why are you so here today and it's raining so hard and on every monday at this bad time right okay so my friends, we are, let me get myself set up here. All right. All right, so here is where we are. Let me just get it, let's get caught up in the story just a little bit, just the tiniest little refresher, okay? So, right, you have the story of the Exodus, and after they flee Egypt, the Israelites head on a beeline, led by God, down to Mount Sinai, the same mountain where Moses had encountered the bush that was burning but was not being consumed. And <clears throat> after they are there at the mountain Mount Sinai for a couple of years where they get the law and they get the tabernacle and however long, long it exactly is, they then head for the promised land. This is, this is where, you know, um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the stories in the book of Genesis were all set. You'll recall that the Israelites um, only ended up in Egypt because they fled famine in Canaan. 
and now they are returning home. And so they head up. Uh, they come to a place called Kadesh Barnea, just to the south of, the, of Canaan. And there uh, they send spies in, right? So this is, we're in the book of Numbers now. So they send spies in, and the spies look over the land, and there are 12 of them, one from each tribe. Joshua and Caleb are ready to follow what God says and go into the promised land, but the other 10 are not. They chicken out. They don't want to listen to God. They get the people all upset and rebellious against what God is telling them to do. And so they are not going to enter the promised land. Instead, they are going to be condemned to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. All right, so that's what these little arrows are kind of meant to, meant to say. And here again, I'll just, just, just refresh a picture of what the tabernacle looks like with the tent of meeting in it there, right? That is movable and it's moving with them. And when they make camp, they camp by tribes with the tabernacle and the tent of meeting in the center. All of that will come to play, have a part to play in the, in the coming stories in the book of Numbers. You don't really need that slide for anything. So, okay. So where we are is in chapter 14. We finished up at 1425 last time. I had to look it up. And we're going to pick up right there. We are in the midst of this rebellion story. And I find most striking in this story the comparison to the rebellion that happens at the foot of Mount Sinai. Because in Exodus 32, 33, 34, Moses goes up to the mountain. He spends too much time. He comes down to, from the mountain and all kinds of trouble is broken loose. All kinds of revelry and so forth. And they've made this golden calf. And it's just, it's just the worst thing. And that follows up after rebellion pretty much as soon as they get into the wilderness after crossing the Red Sea. They're complaining and whining about food and water and protection, and those things are all important, but the stories all illustrate the people's unwillingness to trust God. And boy, isn't that the story, right? This story of rebellion is one of the great themes in Scripture. What's the first, just ask yourself, what's the first rebellion in the pages of the Bible. Adam and Eve. You got it. Genesis 3. That's the rebellion in the garden when when they would not do the one thing God asked them not to do. They, they, they had to eat from that tree. And when they do, it all falls apart. They blame each other. They hide from God. Um, they are cast out of the garden. And the next thing you know, one son of theirs is murdering the other son. And it's just um, illustrative of this, of this rebellion. Um, we use the word sin a lot, we, right? And it's a perfectly good word, but the word rebellion against God is also a really, really good word because this rebellion that happens in the garden 
is what is repeated in the Sinai wilderness after they leave Egypt and is repeated at the foot of Mount Sinai and is now being repeated again as they are supposed to be preparing to enter the promised land. But they are rebelling and grumbling and complaining. And again, you get the sense that God is has just had it up to the proverbial here with me hitting my neck, for those of you who can't see me. Uh, and how does God go about this rescue project? On Sundays right now, Arthur's talking about the Missio Dei. The Missio Dei is, means the mission of God, which isn't really our mission. God gives us work of our own to do. Um, the work of the church is in Latin is the Missio Ecclesia, but the Missio Dei is God's mission. What is, what is God about? What are God's purposes here? And we, it doesn't really take a rocket scientist to understand that God's purposes are to reconcile humanity to a right relationship with God and to restore and renew God's creation, all of which was wrecked in by the rebellion of the humans in the garden. So God's purposes are reconciliation and renewal and restoration. And how does God do that? Because, because God doesn't is not a God of the magic wand. God has chosen to work through fragile, broken, sinful, rebellious people. Beginning with Abraham. The book of Genesis is not a long list of people who you want to emulate. They have lots of problems, lots of issues, but somehow God is going to take this people and bring them through crisis after crisis after crisis. To use a medical terminology, through cancer after cancer after cancer, to try to bring them to the point where they will simply love God and love others as they were built to do. That's it. That's what the Old Testament story is. The people's failure to love God and to love others. And so here, as they are at the border, they're on they're on the, you know, they're about to enter the promised land. They don't trust God. They rebel. They grumble. They complain. Remember when they were uh, a couple chapters back when they were complaining about not enough meat to eat? Oh, yeah. And all the quail they got? Oh, yeah. And somebody calculated it was like 32 trillion quail fell upon. <laughs> you know, it's just like you, you would think that they would learn to trust God. But the truth is there is something broken in the human heart. And indeed, that is why God is going to have to fix him fix this himself. Not with the magic wand, though, but with one faithful Jew who will indeed suffer the brokenness of this world and whose name was Jesus. So, my friends, we are at 1425. 
So, Patty, did you see uh, Bona's note? I did, and I am going to send something right back to her. Okay, I don't know why that wouldn't be forward. I um, mean, on the website, I easily am, found. I'm going to look that up myself and just see. I don't know. I don't know. We have a strategy meeting Wednesday. I hopefully I'll get a chance to bring that up and talk about it because I couldn't find the worship times for Christmas and New Year's on the website. Okay, right, friends. So we are at Numbers 1426. We are in the middle of the grumbling. <laughs> That's where we are. And God has pretty much had it. So verse 26. So Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, As surely as I live, declares Yahweh, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land that I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Remember, because they were the two spies who said, no, we're, we need to trust God. We need to enter this land. Because you see, what they're afraid of is all the peoples who live there. It's not vacant. There are Canaanites and other assorted folks who are who are who live in the land of Canaan, and they don't. They're they're well. A lot of the people are fearful. Fear, fearful. They won't trust God. So. None of that generation, except for Caleb and Joshua, are going to be allowed to enter the promised land. And to extend the story out past the book of Numbers, that will include, in the end, not even Moses. Moses sees the promised land, but he does not enter it. Verse 31. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder if you entered the promised land, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness. That's kind of weighty, isn't it? Yes. That, these, that the families of these decision-making people are going to suffer. All of Israel is going to suffer for the unfaithfulness of this generation. Um, I guess it's an old story, really. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, wandering around in this wilderness of Sinai. And it is, this is a big desert and stuff. There's, there's nothing lovely and lush and attractive about it. Your children will be shepherded here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness for 40 years. One year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, right, because the spies went in, they went in for 40 days, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. Wow. Who wants God against them? 
nobody in their right minds. God is the creator of the cosmos. We want God with us, not against us. We want to be with God, not against God. Um, people who shake their fists at God just, just astonish me. Just astonish me. Maybe more so as I get older. Um, and when I hear them talk about it, they seem so... They seem so ignorant. Yes, ignorant. For all their learning, they really don't know hardly anything about what God has done in this world. They don't know anything about Jesus' resurrection other than one sentence, the claim that Jesus was resurrected. Anything else about it, they don't know. If you ask them, well, give me some reasons you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. You know, they'll, you know, big, big claims need big evidence or whatever, but they don't know the specifics of any of it. And yet they're so bl blithely rejected all when it is actually the truth. So, God says, verse 35, I, Yahweh, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community, which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. So, the way this is going to work is that the project is going to go on, right? Because there's going to be Joshua and Caleb and then a new, much younger generation who will, who will enter the promised land. But um, this grumbling generation that's grumbled ever since they left Egypt will not. They're, you know, we talk about in America, we talk about the greatest generation. Yes. This is the antithesis of the greatest generation. They were quick to sign on at Mount Sinai to the covenant with God. You know, three times they're asked, are you ready? You want to enter into this? Yes, 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 they say. And it's just days until they start making that stupid golden calf. They are not, they are the, <laughs> I don't even know what word to use. I'm so astounded, but they there's there's no there's no greatness in them. So anyway, verse thirty-six. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land, who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land that this would be ten. Ten men, right? Because twelve went in, one from each tribe. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, let's go. Ten men said, let's not. These men who were responsible for spreading the report about the bad land, about the land were struck down and died of a plague before Yahweh. Don't know anything about any kind of plague. Don't know anything about anything about that except that the ten who were really the instigators of this rebellion and who were on the forefront and should have, in representing their tribe, should have known they could trust God, they die first. 
The rest will, right? That God has said, no, nope. This whole generation is going to die off. And then, you know, their children will enter the promised land. Verse 38. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, um, survived. So 12 is now 2. Right? Yes. So... All right. Anything to add there, Patty? No. no. Getting a little drink of water. Boy, they're going after those leaves outside, aren't they? Boy, I'm telling you. <laughs> we had quite a few. Well, verse 39. When Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, Now we are ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. But Moses said, Why are you disobeying Yahweh's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up, because Yahweh is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from Yahweh, he will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. So, that's interesting. So the people then say, oh, oh, never mind. Forget all the rebellion. Forget all the grumbling. Forget all of that. We are going to, we're ready now. We're ready now. And so they go up to the hilltop or whatever and they're ready to rush into the promised land of God and, and uh, Moses says don't you're going to die quickly in there because God is not with you you rebelled against God you rebelled against God gosh there are so many thoughts right in that little piece of it about this and about who God is and of course every time we come to the um, a story like this in the Old Testament, we have to reflect upon the fact that the full revelation of who God is, is Jesus. There's nothing capricious in what God is doing here. And I read it as a warning. Um, Paul does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He warns them. He uses even some, makes some allusions to these stories in, in the book of Numbers um, about don't be rebellious. Don't, don't be idolaters. The people have chosen a path. And God is a God of forgiveness. But God is also a God of justice, and there is a project to move forward. And the people have rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. Is this the first time they've rebelled? No. They rebelled in the wilderness, and God gave them manna. Then they complained about water, and God gave them water. Then they complained about protection, and God set that up for them. And then they get to Mount Sinai. And there they make the golden calf, the darkest, blackest moment 
in the Old Testament. And they no sooner set out, I mean, they haven't been gone that long from Mount Sinai. It's not that far to get up to Kadesh Barnea. And they are rebelling again. So you tell me what you think they will do if God just says, okay, well, just never mind all of that. You know, just go ahead and enter the promised land, you know. What do you think will happen if God, they, they, would, they will rebel again. They will rebel again. People don't like to think that you can cast your lot with God in such a way that you just sort of run out of chances. Well, I mean, I, I think everybody get lot. God gives everybody lots of chances, both on this side and the other side of the grave. But it's not, it can't be endless, I don't think. Or somehow... Every notion I have about what is ju about justice and righteousness kind of get swept away, and what anybody does or doesn't do doesn't matter. It all has to matter, and so they've 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 proved time and again who they are, and are they trustworthy carriers of this mission, the missio dei, the rescue project of gods no they're not um, and so in essence I haven't made this connection in my mind before but in essence it's like the story of Noah what's the story of Noah the story of Noah is a, 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 a uncreation and recreation so um, in that, in Genesis 6, the whole world is filled with evil. From bottom to top, evil, 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 everywhere, everywhere. From morning to night, it's all anybody thought about it. It just evil, evil, evil. And so God sweeps the table clear, starts over with Noah and his family. Well, that turns out not to work much better. At Mount Sinai, when the people rebel against God and make the golden calf, you know what God says to, to, to them? Well... Okay, says to Mo Moses, you know, Moses, we'll do this. Forget them. I'm going to start over with you. Fresh start, just with you, Moses. We're, this is not going well with these people. I'll start over with you. So, in, and now they are at the borders of the promised land, and in essence by this final rebellion from this generation, the rebellion to end them all, God is going to start over with new people, new leaders, a new generation of Israelites who will enter the promised land under the leadership of God and Joshua and Caleb. So... I think I think that's why it's just so important to to see the context of every story and connect it to other pieces. Otherwise, you see come to the story in isolation and you wonder, well, what sort of God is this? Without stopping yourself and ask, well, what sort of people are these? What sort of people? What has been their history? Where have they been for the last couple of years? What is have 
What kind of people have they shown themselves and proved themselves to be? And the project has to move forward. It has to move forward. It has to move forward because God loves this world and he loves the humans and he wants the humans to be reconciled to God. And if you doubt the extent to which God will take this project, even in the face of human sinfulness and brokenness and betrayal, just look at Jesus. When God himself is crucified and beaten, God doesn't turn away from that path. That's quite, quite something. So, let's see what the people do. <clears throat> 44. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the highest point in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. So it's like they just charged up the hillside. Moses is back there. The Ark of the Covenant's back there. Remember, they're, they're, the Ark is supposed to move ahead of them with the uh, little cl the cloud over it that is the manifestation of God. But no, forget all that. They're just, just like they're charging up the top of the hill. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Horma. Just slapped them all back back into the wilderness. Ugh. Okay. So, any thoughts about all that drama? I don't have any comments, um, but boy, it is. It is a lot of drama. It is a lot of drama, but it's. I think you can only begin to get the importance of it if you put it into that larger context of what's happened after God rescued them from Egypt, the great salvation event, each point along the way, all of that is important to grasping what has happened here as they were about to enter the promised land with this last and final rebellion and God's decision to basically start over. Start over with a new, new generation. So, Not to say that this generation won't prove a big disappointment, but um, the the project, the Missio Day, has to move forward. Okay. okay. Do you think that God just knows that if He gives them one more try, they're just gonna the same thing's gonna happen? Do you think that's? I think that's what they've sort of proven themselves, isn't it? That's really what. You know, they, they've shown the truth of that, Patty. They have. They have. They have. They have. But it seems like, you know, they're a little remorseful, you know. They're, they mourn bitterly. They, they say, well, let's, now we believe. But we've all known people who will, you know, they do something terrible to you or somebody you care about. They, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it'll never happen again until a week later when it happens again. I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's just, you have to accept the truth of human brokenness and sin to grasp the difficulty of doing what God is doing here in this, in this 
project and you can always if you if you think that there's an easier way just look at the cross just look at the cross so anyway now verse 15 it's going to be a big change and we may um read a few we don't know we're going to read every every bit of this but these are about offerings okay do you mind if before you start that if i make one little comment about your your oh yeah please patty okay. take your i've got so, a drink of water and no everything. no this is for you and anybody else that um is interested um, when I went online to um, just regular St. Andrew and I pulled up events, I don't see it listed. But I went back to an email that was sent out on January 4th that is just says, St. Andrew, you're invited to join us for the second act. And it's got the events coming up for the month of January. And under that, you're able to click on and then log in and sign up for Scott's event. But I did not find it directly just by going through St. Andrew and pulling up the calendar and doing events. I could not find it that way. I will make sure that I get this taken care of tomorrow. I will talk to uh, the administrative people and find out why it was done this way. But anyway, right now you can sign up for it by going back to that email. Mine actually came to my junk folder, so if you didn't get one, you may want to check there. But it did come on January 4th, and it is strictly second act information. So, sorry. I do know you can sign up that way, though. Thanks, Scott. Sorry. Hey, no problem. No problem. Okay. So, now, in chapter 15, we're going to begin this this long this section of about offerings and so forth. And then after that, there are some wild some wild stories um, about what? Well, it, those stories coming are also about rebellion. About rebellion. So anyway, okay, so chapter 15, verse 1. Yahweh said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, After you enter the land I am giving you as a home, and you present to Yahweh food offerings from the herd of the flock as an aroma pleasing to Yahweh, whether burnt offerings or sacrifice, for special vows or free will offerings or festival offerings, then the person who brings an offering shall present to the Lord a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with a quarter of a hen of olive oil. With each lamb, for the burnt offering and the sacrifice, prepare a quarter of a hen of wine as a drink offering. Now, if you are like me, you come to chapter 15, and you begin to read these opening paragraphs, and you're struck by, wow, where is this coming from? We've just had this dramatic story of the rebellion at Kadesh Barnea, the people turning back, and the ten spies being struck down dead, and the people racing up the hillside and getting their butts kicked by the native Canaanites. And now, well, here we are. So I think it highlights something that's important to realize about these Old Testament writings. They are very old. They have been written, compiled, 
edited. All right. Um, so there are pieces of different things that come together here. Um, this, this piece here is kind of looking down the road to when the people are going to enter the promised land and it's about the offerings and it's all really good and it's really helpful and it's really meaningful. Um, and it just comes together into this entire scroll that we call, that we call numbers. But it is, it is a little bit idiosyncratic that it's here. Okay, so we'll just, we'll just read a little bit more of it and then we'll kind of skip forward to the end of this section. And I'm sorry. That it's so loud. They're right outside my door, by my doorway here. So, yes. we will address that. Yeah, I said we would last time, and then I guess we got busy with Christmas and didn't do it. But yikes! Okay. <laughs> Talk, among, talk yeah. amongst yourselves. That's what you say on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Get a drink of water. Now they're, they're, okay. They're, they're done with our entry area. Wow. Okay. We hope. Okay. So let's look at verse 8. When you prepare a young bull as a burnt offering or sacrifice for a special vow or a fellowship offering to Yahweh, bring with the bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with half a hen of olive oil, and also bring half a hen of wine as a drink offering. This will be a food offering, an aroma pleasing to Yahweh. Um, one of the great metaphors that it's about God being slow to anger, the metaphor in Hebrew actually is that God has a long nose. And it takes the anger a long time to work up the nose. And the aroma of things can be pleasing to God or can be displeasing to God in this, you know, very striking nose metaphor. So each bull or ram, each lamb or young goat is to be prepared in this manner. Do this for each one, for as many as you prepare. Um, now the next piece is about native-born versus foreigners. Verse 13. Everyone who was native-born must do these things in this way when they present a food offering as an aroma pleasing to Yahweh. For the generations to come, whenever a foreigner or anyone else living among you presents a food offering as an aroma pleasing to Yahweh, they must do exactly as you do. That's really an important verse. Um, you remember in the story of Ruth when Naomi and Ruth are now headed back um, to Israel after the death of husbands and so forth and sons. And, and Ruth says to Naomi, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. What, what that means is that Ruth is going to come and live as an Israelite, even though she is a Moabite. 
So foreigners are to come, and if they are living in Israel, living in and amongst these tribes, they are to offer offerings, same as the Israelites do. Um, it was that way when God instituted circumcision in the book of Genesis. That every, every male in the household was to be circumcised, whether they were Israelite or not. If they had slaves or servants from Egypt or elsewhere, they were to be circumcised as well. Um, Israel, regardless of your... What? Regardless of your DNA, is to live as, as God's people and do the things that God's people do. I guess maybe, I don't know, I'd like to think it is part of God's hope that if people will do and live as the Israelites do and live, then they will indeed, as Ruth put, puts it, worship Yahweh truly. Because what's, what's the purpose of the great big project? To get everybody, everybody, everywhere, all to come together and to worship Yahweh as one regardless of where they come from, regardless of what the uh, um, their land is or their own upbringing or anything. So, verse 15. The community is to have the same rule for you and for the foreigner residing among you. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. You and the foreigner shall be the same before Yahweh. The same laws and regulations will apply both to you and to the foreigner residing among you. And if the foreigner doesn't want to do that, what should the foreigner do? What do you think, Patty? What do you think the foreigner should do? Move. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right. There's no other option here. No. Really. Do there it. isn't. Verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land of which I am taking you, when you eat the food of the land, present a portion as an offering to Yahweh. Well, of course. That's kind of called a tithe. Present a loaf from the first of your ground meal and present it as an offering from the threshing floor. Throughout the generations to come, you are to give this offering to the Lord from the first of your ground meal. God gets the first of everything. The firstborn, God gets the best. God gets the highest quality, not not what's left over. Um, for us today, what does it mean? Well, it means when you come to talk about, you know, financially giving to the church, it means that the question that shouldn't come out of your mouth is, well, should I is tithing before or after tax? I knew you were going to. Yeah, that. I know you would. It's one of the preacher's favorite things, right? Now, yes. ah, nah, that can't be the question. You're to give God the best of what you have. Don't worry about what Uncle Sam is going to do. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. I knew you knew that, Patty. <laughs> I was sitting over here just waiting. Waiting your own business, and look what I did. So now, verse twenty-two, little change in subject to a. One of the great things about the law of Moses, this Old Testament law, is that it's very practical. And it differentiates between a sin that someone commits intentionally and one that they commit unintentionally. 
which you could say, well, that's kind of obvious. I don't know that it's always that obvious everywhere to people that they should differentiate between those. But intent matters a great deal. Um, so, verse 22. Now, if you as a community unintentionally failed to keep any of these commandments the Lord gave Moses, any of the Lord's commands to you through him from the day the Lord gave them and continuing through the generations to come, and if this is done unintentionally, without the community being aware of it, then the whole community is to offer a young bull for a burnt offering as an aroma, as an aroma pleasing to Yahweh, along with its prescribed grain offering and drink offering and a male goat for a sin offering. The priest is to make atonement for the whole Israelite community and they will be forgiven, for it was not intentional. And they have presented to Yahweh for their wrong a food offering and a sin offering. The whole Israelite community and the foreigners residing among them will be forgiven because all the people were involved in the unintentional wrong. But, and you knew this is coming, but if just one person sins unintentionally, that person must bring a year-old female goat for a sin offering. The priest is to make atonement for Yahweh for the one who erred in sinning unintentionally. And when atonement has been made, that person will be forgiven. One and the same law applies to everyone who sins unintentionally, whether a native-born Israelite or a foreigner residing among you. And now comes the really big B-U-T. The really big but. But anyone who sins defiantly. Oh, I like that choice of words. Notice it just doesn't say intentionally. It says defiantly. Because what is a sin? A sin is something that's, a sin is a wrong that's committed against God. This is, it is defiance of God. It is rebellion against God. That's what a sin is. I can wrong other people, and it's terrible. But it's sin against whom I commit. It's a, it's a God against whom I commit a sin. Defiantly. Anyone who sins defiantly, like, like, aha, I don't care what you say, God, I'm doing this. But anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreigner, blasphemes Yahweh and must be cut off from the people of Israel. Meaning what? You're out. You're out. Right? Yeah. Um, when you, there's an in-group and there's an out-group. The in-group are God's people. Um, Ruth makes a pledge to come and be part of the in-group. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, she says to Naomi. Um, this Moabite woman named Ruth. And I think we can see that because you have one bad apple, let's say, you know, that somebody who is openly defiant against God, it's something that could spread. It's something that could it's spread. It's like a cancer. It is like a cancer. How does Jesus, what, what metaphor does Jesus use a lot? Yeast. 
right? Yeah. It could there's like good yeast, a little bit will go a long way to spread good, but it can also it can also be wreckage. One bad what the other expression we use, one bad apple spoils yeah. the bunch. Yep. Right? Yeah. So I think if we see God with this project of rescuing humanity through this family of Abraham, determined to carry them forward. If someone is ready to just simply be defiant against God, then they just need to leave. They need to go somewhere else, make a new life, make a new home, worship Baal or whatever they want to do, but 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 they can't stay. Because as Patty says, they'll just they'll be like a cancer. Verse 31. Because they have despised Yahweh's word and broken his commands, they sh must surely be cut off. Their guilt remains on them. So notice there's nothing about in this about off any offerings for the sin they've committed. It's like they leave and they take their sin and their guilt with them, like a pack on their back. They take it and they go, and they must leave this community. Now, that kind of thing, unfortunately, has been misused a great deal by humans. It's sort of an, an idealistic way of thinking because, you know, shunning people and casting them out has often been about every sort of reason other than being true to God. Um, and you can, you can see it, it still happens today when people are cast out of a tight-knit tight community or, or shunned. Um, wow, you just got so bright. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, the sun is coming out. That's why. Isn't that something? Yes. So, um, but I, I, I just lowered the brightness, baby. Okay, we're going to raise the brightness back up now. Nope, nope. Nope, just leave it right there. Yep. We're going to wherever you want. Okay, so it's like, um, to go back to a parable that is sticking in my mind and heart a lot lately about the wheat and the weeds. When the, the, the farmer and his workers plant a field and the workers then come in and say, well, there's a bunch of weeds growing up in and amongst the weed and they want to go out and pull up all the weeds and, and the farmer says, no, don't, we'll take care of that at the end because they won't, they'll pull up the weed as well as the weeds. And it's a parable about us leaving the weed pulling to Jesus. Because I, I can't imagine, like, in the modern day, if we took it upon ourselves to go around and decide who was going to be kicked out of our churches. It happens. There are people who are abused by churches. So, you know, it's to me, this is one of those, those things where, yeah... I get, I get the command. I get, I get the two verses, but in practice, because of human sin, experience has shown us that it is basically a big excuse for abuse of people and power games and all the rest of it. 
But in any event, we're going to come upon some examples here where God, I believe, is going to make some of these Detroit decisions. So, still any thoughts or questions over there, Patty? No. Very, no? Anybody's got nothing? Make... Okay. So, verse 33. Now, while the Israelites were in the wilderness, where they're going to be for the next 40 years, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. What do you think, Patty? Is that good or bad? Sounds possibly like a sin. Not oh. sure how work right. Well, yeah. I mean, you're not you're supposed to rest, not work. He's out there gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Gosh. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly, and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then Yahweh said to Moses, "The man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp." So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as Yahweh commanded Moses. And my hand is hitting my forehead because the previous paragraph just said, well, what do you do if you if a person sins defiantly? And that's probably, the guy probably is sinning defiantly, right? I mean, he knows gathering wood on the Sabbath day isn't something that he should be doing. But it just says you're supposed to cast him out, not stone him to death. So what do we do? Well, I guess I have two thoughts. Thought number one, beats me. Thought number two, <laughs> I am very grateful for Jesus. That's all I'm saying. Gosh, I am too. When I read something like this, yeah. I just think of us, we spend half of our morning, at least till... After, after 12 o'clock noon on Sunday morning at St. Andrew, uh, studying and worshiping God. But the rest of the afternoon, we do do things. We well, unload the dishwasher. You might cut the grass. Well, that's not going to ever happen. But, but we, oh. don't, we, we don't. We, we don't understand the Sabbath in the way that the Old Testament does. Okay, that with Jesus, that was part of the law that um, did, really, did really Jesus passed. Did Jesus ever say that? Did he say that? No, but so, the church did. Okay, so that's that's from what's happening. Yeah, I mean, okay, we could we, we we could all go back to to you know keeping the Sabbath on. What would we keep it on Saturday, like they do in the Old Testament? Or or do it or do it on Sunday, but clearly at the time, yes. this is in defiance wow. yes. of what people had committed to doing. Oops, sorry. Um, this is a reminder. Let's have a note. You know when, and so for me, it's just one of these passages that I I really don't I don't have any great wisdom about it but and i don't even quite know how to put it against the paragraph before with this casting out um but if you want to grab a paragraph 
in the Old Testament, as you know, and you want to make this case that you know God is just this angry God ready to stone people, you could grab this story, couldn't you? Yes. That's why you have to put it all in the context of the biblical story. You have to understand that what you're getting is a progressive revelation of who God is, culminating in Jesus. And um, there are a lot of elements here in these Old Testament writings that are puzzling. It is. At least to me, it would it be is. a challenge. I'm glad I've never been asked to preach this story. And I know we're talking about, you know, thousands of years ago, but wow. You wow. Know, we, we live in a world where things carry on 24-7. Um, well, I'm not focused on what man did. I'm focused on what God does. Yes, that's, that is a question. Like, why? I'd be, yeah, I'd be interested to know what. Yeah, I, I did look this up in some commentaries, and they don't have any great, you know, the, the scholars don't have any great insights into, oh, gee, here's the meaning to all of this, and except to yes. take it as it is and... Stone the man to death who picked up wood. Who was, who was defiant against God, right? Because okay. the, it, it's in this whole section of, you know, right? It follows the, after talking about defiance against God. And then you get these four verses. And that's why I thought that, well, you know, they're going to cast him out. But no. Instead, they stone the man to death. Which I would guess put an end to anybody who had thoughts of gathering wood on the Sabbath. No, I will make one note that's really important. So who did Moses convene a council to decide what to do with the man? A jury, even. No. No. It's God. It's God who directs Moses. So unless you feel like God is speaking to you the way that God spoke to Moses, I'd be careful. It's, it's God who instructs this. Anyway, so now let's look at the next paragraph. That again, like it's, um, I feel like I'm, I'm in a pinball machine. So verse 37, Yahweh said to Moses, quote, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments. And I'm going to myself, But wait, we just stoned this guy to death. No, put the tassels on with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord. Dot, 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 which that guy did not. That you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Well, I don't know that that's what the guy was doing, but, and I don't, I personally don't think the guy had forgotten that he wasn't supposed to collect wood on the Sabbath. I just think he just did it. I do think he was being defiant. So they're going to put these tassels on. If you look at drawings of the way that Jews dress, you see it sometimes today still. They'll have tassels and stuff on the garment or on the shawl or on the tunic. It, they are not just decoration. They are supposed to be reminders. Reminders of who they are, reminders of the commandments of God, reminding them every day that they are to be obedient um, and do 
and live as God has told them to live, not as their heart leads them to live. Verse 40, Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated, that is made holy, to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh your God. Wow. Okay. These people, what would it be like if God were living upstairs in our house, Patty? I mean, actually, kind of like in that movie, Michael, with John DeVolta, where he's the angel living yes. upstairs. Yes. I mean, whew. You know, it, if you're ever thinking that God is only your buddy, I guess some of this can help dissuade you of that. Um, God is God. He is, he is, in addition to being God incarnate, God with us, God is transcendent. God is the sacred other. Um, and we, we can't forget that that's as true as the statement that God became incarnate in, in, the babe, in, in baby Jesus. That both are true. All right. Well, we'll read a little bit of this story here. We have a little bit of time, and it's quiet. They've left. Verse, chapter 16, Korah, son of Izhar, the son of Kohath. Ah, one of the tribes is the Kohathites on the chart. Okay, so let's just use my chart since I have it. Ah, there we go on the south side of the, you know, the bottom of the tent of meeting, the Kohathites. That's one of the Levite tribes. All right. Korah, son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites. There we go. See where the Reubenites camped. Right next to the Kohathites. Yeah. So they're on the south side. Parked right there together. Parked right there together. Likely to get into trouble together. And certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, son of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, became what? They became insolent and rose up against Moses. Another rebellion directed at Moses in this case, not directed at God specifically, but at Moses, who of course is whom? Who is Moses? Moses is God's God's leader, God's guy, God, the one God chose for all of this, the one God speaks to, the one who goes and meets God at the uh, uh, mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant in the tent of meeting. Well, they've risen up against Moses. All coming from, you see, it's just fascinating because it's all from the same area. This chart is accurate. This chart lays out which tribes are parked where. And the Kohathites are next to the Reubenites. Proximity matters. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders, tribal leaders, 
It's kind of funky. They always use the word community here. These are tribal leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and Yahweh is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above Yahweh's assembly? Well, when Moses heard this, he fell face down. And he said to Korah and all of his followers, In the morning, Yahweh will show you who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers, C-E-N-S-E-R-S. That's like a bowl. Take censers, and tomorrow put burning coals into it and incense in them before Yahweh. The man Yahweh chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites, you have gone too far. Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites. Isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle? and to stand before the community and minister them to them. Remember, see, the holiest place in the whole camp is where? Inside the tabernacle, inside the tent. Who is closest to the most holy place? The Levites and the sons of Aaron, the Kohathites, Levites, Gershonites, Levites, Merorites, Levites. So they're already... the. Korah and his tribe are already in a privileged position because they are the ones who encamp closest to the holiest of holies. Verse 10. He has brought you and all your fellow Israelites near Levites. himself. Levites. You and all your fellow Levites. What did I say? Israelites. Is Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too. Right? Because Aaron is, and his sons are the priests, and the Levites are supposed to assist them. So Moses smells out a power grab, as it were. It is against Yahweh that you and all your followers have banded, have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Aaron being Moses' brother, Aaron being picked by God to go with Moses way back in the day to confront Pharaoh. Well, then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, but they said, we will not come. It not it enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Yeah. Like their life as slaves was so wonderful. Remember when they had to make the bricks without the straw and all that stuff? Yeah, that was that was primo living right there, baby. 
And now you also want to lord it over us, you too, Aaron and Moses. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Do you want to treat these men like slaves? No, we will not come. All in the context of what? These people having turned away from the promised land, turned away, having turned away by their own volition, their own will, their own choice, the promised land. God brought them there and they said, no. No. We don't trust you, God. No. Next verse is not surprising. Then Moses became very angry. And he said to Yahweh, do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as the donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. And Moses said to Korah, you and all your followers are to appear before Yahweh tomorrow, you and they and Aaron. Each man is to take his censer, that's the bowl, put the incense in it, 250 censers, 250 bowls and all, and present it before Yahweh. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. So each of them took his censer, his bowl, put the burning coals and the incense in it, stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting, kind of crowded probably, when Korah had gathered all of his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of Yahweh appeared to the entire assembly. And Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. This whole crowd of 250 dudes standing there in front of the tent of meeting. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O God, the God who gives breath to all living things, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the assembly, Move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he warned the assembly, Move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all their sins. So, Everybody moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing there with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrance to their tents. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that Yahweh has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then Yahweh has not sent me. But if Yahweh brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the realm of the dead because remember for the ancient people where are the dead? They're down below the earth. Then you will know that these men have treated Yahweh with contempt. Well, as soon as he had finished saying all this the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them from those three tents and their household and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished. 
and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Wow. Wow. I don't ever remember hearing that story. Well, I, geez, that's a surprise, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's a shocker. Yeah. You know, you could go back through the annals of St. Andrew's sermons over the last 20 years that I have records of, and there's almost nothing for the book of Numbers and no story like this. No preacher's going to really know what to do about with this, with a story like this. It's one of these pieces that just reminds you how old this stuff is. Reminds you how much, how glad we are um, that Jesus is a full revelation of who God is. And for me at least, it's going to fill out some index cards when I, you know, for me to take up to Jesus with me and say, well, let's talk about this story. What's happened? What, what happened there? And I wonder if Jesus won't say to me, look, the cancer was big and it was deep and it was strong and it just had to be dealt with. And those people, you know, are now with God, but they're, they, they, they were swallowed up from the earth that day. I don't know. I wish I, I wish I did. I wish I could be more help than I can be. It's Lynn Lawton. Wow is right. Yeah, like wow is right. <laughs> so, when you read the next line, he, if, you know, God consumes everybody else too. That was part of this whole thing. That when you, verse 35? Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. so after the, the folks from those three guys' tents are all consumed, then the 250 men who were rebelling against Moses, they're done away with. And so when we come together next week, we're going to see what comes after that. Because, like, wow. I will not be picking up any wood on Sundays <laughs> from here on out. Not again. Okay. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, wow. Good idea. Wow. So, wow. Oops. Oops, sorry, honey. I'm trying to make this come out. It's so dark. We're so dark in this. I know. I'm going to put it up to full brightness. It's just a very dark day today it outside. Is. It is. But they can make we us had out. That little peak. So look how pretty you are. Oh, you kind yes. of get these weird shadows, but there you <laughs> yes. go. I look like somebody on that this show. This little sixty dollar camera that we use is doing its very best. It's trying. It's trying. So I did want to just make a note because um, I saw it as I was looking back over the notes that Norm put on here, uh, Norm uh, Zanin, his little grandson that we have been praying for, little Nate, who's nine years old and who was, I mean, really, really critically ill. He is still in the hospital on a ventilator, but they think they're going to maybe be able to take the ventilator off tomorrow. That, ah, well, I mean, great. that is truly he, they, they said he's, he's been making a little bit of progress. Wonderful, wonderful. So, yep. Um I know sometimes it's hard to ever, you know, to take sure. somebody off a ventilator. So this is like really big. And please, let's just all pray tonight that little Nate does great when they attempt to take this ventilator off tomorrow. That'd be a okay. wonderful thing. So um, thanks for being with us and staying a few minutes late. 
Scott got into that story. Well, and... we kind of had to yes. get to halfway through the story. We'll I come know. back next week. We'll get part two. Yes, we might have to review a little bit of that. I don't know. It's so wild. <laughs> wow, nobody's going to forget that. <laughs> if someone missed today, they ah, Okay, know. I see what you're saying. Okay. Please uh, join us in prayer. Oh, and sorry, real, 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 real quick. Tomorrow, don't forget, is the start of Acts at um, 12 o'clock to 1.15 in um, Piro. And we hope that y'all will be with us either online or in person. It's fun in person. It really is. It's really fun in person. But we appreciate you watching us online if you can't be there we any do other both. way. Yep, yep. All we right. do it all, baby. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Um, we do thank you for the rain. It's a cold, rainy day, but we know in Texas we always need the rain, and we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you, God, for keeping this group together. I mean, now we've been together three-plus years on, um, well, at least three years we're coming up on now since COVID started, and we started going uh, doing this in the afternoons, and we are just so grateful, God, how you've kept us all together. And um, we just pray, God, that you would continue to lead us, um, helping, of course, through Scott to teach us a little bit deeper. The, these words, God, that are in Scripture that are things that we would so easily just kind of read over so fast. And taking it line by line, Lord, we do really realize there is so much more packed in, I mean, every, every paragraph that we read. So, Lord, keep this group safe. Please keep us all healthy. Um, we do pray, God, for your wisdom and discernment in each of our lives. Help us to make good decisions, God, every day. Hold us together till next week. We love you, Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you know what else we learn by doing it verse by verse? What's that? That there are a lot of stories here nobody ever told us. There are. Seriously. I've never heard of this story in my entire life. 73 years so we, of living. You see, you read it by yourself, you just be kind of, you know, going yeah. right through it. But it's like, wow. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> what happened? Alrighty. Okay, everybody. Bye, everybody. Adios.